Welcome to the Panine Halacha podcast. Zmanim, Chapter 4, Yom Atzmu, as well as Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaShoah, Section 0, a podcast introduction. This chapter is a little bit different from the rest of the Panine Halacha, and that difference deserves some attention. In addition, throughout this chapter, I'm going to share more reflections and more footnotes than I usually would on each section. In fact, an entire podcast episode will be dedicated to sharing the entirety of the Panini Halakha's footnotes to one section. What's so different in this chapter? Well, it's remarkable for the Panini Halakha, a comprehensive work of Halakha, to include in it a section devoted to the new Israeli holidays of Yom Atzmut, Yom Asikaron, and Yom HaShoah. To my knowledge, this is the first comprehensive halachic work, one that sees itself as providing guidance on any practical question that could arise in a layperson's religious life to treat these holidays as part of that religious life. If so, this is a major moment in halachic history. To be clear, the Penine Halacha is not the first work of Halacha to talk about these holidays. As you'll see, he'll be citing from plenty of precedents. But he is the first comprehensive work, and thus it's the first moment when one can seamlessly move from such classic and age-old topics as the laws of Kashrut, or the laws of Shabbos, and the laws of blessings, to, on the metaphorical very next page, the laws of Yom Atzimut. And the Panina Halacha doesn't put these laws in their own separate volume with their own special color. No, it's right there, next to counting the Omer and the summertime fast days and Rosh Chodesh. No, he seems to be saying, this right here is just as much a part of the halachic system as anything else that you would study or read. The Panine Halacha is the first to do this because, frankly, it's a quite controversial idea amongst observant Jews to put Yom next to traditional halachot, like counting the Omer, or keeping kosher, or keeping Shabbos. Haredi Judaism is largely anti-Zionist, and these holidays, Yom HaShoah, Yom HaZikaron, Yom Atzmut, are not recognized by Haredi groups. So, in that sense, we have another important difference about this chapter. It's a chapter of the Panini Halacha that many followers of Halacha would happily tear out of the work. So not only is this material in some sense new, it is highly controversial. Additionally, I imagine that for this podcast's audience, feelings about Yom Atzmut run high. Those in the modern Orthodox community typically feel very proud of and committed to Yom Atzmut. Interest in its basis and its halachot, and even the nitty-gritty of those halachot, run high. Of course, that's because this nitty-gritty touches on core questions of Jewish identity. What is their redemption? Is there value to secular political achievements and to secular political leadership? In what part of the world am I supposed to spend my life? Are we as Jews a nation or a religion? What is our vision of the Mashiach and the perfected world? Who knows what's best for the Jewish community? Who gets to decide? And those in the modern Orthodox community who identify as non-Zionist or even anti-Zionist often do so from a place of heartfelt ideology. In other words, this is really interesting stuff. In general in this podcast, I try to curate the footnotes to raise up pieces that I think will interest a typical listener. In this chapter's footnotes, 
almost every single one is worthy of such treatment. Those first two differences, that this halacha is in some sense new, and that it is quite controversial, leads to changes in the Panini Halacha's method. In most sections, the Panini Halacha employs a methodology of the mainstream. Yes, there are divergent views in halacha, but let me try to identify the mainstream or majority view and use that to anchor my discussion. The Panini Halacha will sometimes give voice to or even encourage minority views, but only within a context of, hey, don't forget that the mainstream halacha is the actual halacha. There is something quite refreshing about this, and it leads the Panini Halacha to not only adopt, but often vouch for many leniencies. And when he does push for astringency, you know that it's based on the thoughtful weight of the tradition as a whole. But such a method isn't possible here in regard to these topics. Because so many Haredi authorities and Haredi communities reject these days, the Panini Halacha can't rely on a methodology of the mainstream. Otherwise, he'll have to conclude, at best, that one maybe has to celebrate Yom Atzmut, or at worst, that one must not celebrate these days at all. Obviously, that is not the Panini Halacha's view. Another way of saying this is that he doesn't believe that the Haredi authorities offer a legitimate take which he should weigh and consider. No, he thinks that they are wrong, grievously wrong on this matter, and one need not follow their approach or give it weight when writing these laws. So what then is his method in this chapter? For one, it's somewhat more of a methodology of the truth, the capital T, truth. That is, in moments where he might otherwise argue, position X is the mainstream view, let me show you. Here in this chapter, he'll argue, position X is the true or the correct view, let me show you. The Pinina Halacha will here build up an argument piece by piece to show us that his take on Yom Atzmaut is correct. Second, and related, his method in this chapter is a bit more defensive. The entire time that he's building up these truth-seeking arguments, there is a voice, silent but still present, there on every page, asking him to check his work and doubting his results. That silent voice belongs to two speakers, the Haredim, who reject Yom Atzmut, but also to the skeptical but open-minded religious Zionist, who can honestly say, look, this all sounds nice and good, but it's still so new. To the first voice, the Panini Halacha must be able to say, actually, this day is in fact worthwhile, and not just worthwhile, but obligatory. And to the second voice, he must say, while that obligation seems so new, it actually goes back all the way to the Torah. Because he's on the defensive, to these voices, the Panini Halacha must stridently respond. Third, and also related, is, well, being strident. Because he is making a truth claim with skeptical audiences in the background, the Panini Halacha here speaks with a passion. His point isn't, maybe I'm right, and maybe you aren't that interested anyway. It's, I know you think I'm wrong, but believe me, I am right. So right, in fact, that I'm not even going to take your viewpoint seriously, even though I would take your viewpoint seriously when it comes to something like the laws of Shabbos. Fourth, the author of the Panine Halacha, Rav Eliezer Melamed, speaks far more personally in this chapter. 
the authorities and precedents that he cites and upon whom he builds his arguments aren't mere historical figures whose works he has at some point studied. They are his literal teachers, his colleagues, his personal influences, and even his rabbinic role models. He studied at the yeshivas that these figures built and within the community that they shaped and which he now leads. In that way, I believe that the reader is here treated to an additional layer of color and energy in this section. The people of whom the Panine Halacha speaks come alive on the page because they are part of his life. Throughout this section, possessive terms like my master and teacher or our master will appear. And at times, the Panine Halacha will support his halachic arguments with a statement that this is what my teachers do. That's not an argument from the mainstream. It's an argument from the my stream. It's a way of saying that perhaps I won't be able to hand down to you the perfect truth, but at least let me hand down to you the tradition as I have received it. Fifth, there will be moments when the Panini Halacha offers a kind of modified form of his mainstream method, and this will often overlap with his invocation of the Israeli chief rabbinate. After all, even if he can deftly argue away the Haredi view, some details of how to celebrate these days will still be subject to debate, even amongst religious Zionists. How then shall those debates be resolved? One option is to seek some kind of entity that can be seen as representing and speaking for the rabbinic mainstream, but if your mainstream suddenly didn't have any Haredi voices in it. It would be even better if that entity writes clearly worded statements and have an organizational hue that speaks to authority and international recognition. That entity, in fact, is the Israeli chief rabbinate. Although its status and glory and nature has fallen over the decades, for many years it was composed of true halachic authorities, almost all of whom had somewhat of a Zionistic worldview. Perfect. Why try to determine the mainstream when the chief rabbinate's edicts can itself serve that role. At times, the Pinin Halacha will also refer to the practices of Yeshivat Merkaz Harav in Jerusalem, the yeshiva founded by that pillar of religious Zionism, Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKohen Cook. Although there are hundreds of religious Zionist yeshivas, all of which diverge in their own way from the Merkaz Harav path, some immensely, it is still fair to say that Merkaz Harav represents the center of religious Zionist Torah leadership in Israel. It is a very rough proxy, but if that's how they do it at Merkaz, isn't that in the modified pool that only includes religious Zionists, now considered the mainstream? Before proceeding to the actual text of the Penini Halacha, I want to mention two areas with which I humbly disagree with the Penini Halacha. Firstly, the author, Rav Eliezer Melamed, is a religious Zionist thinker living in the land of Israel, and I think that he can sometimes discount the value, strength, and richness of diaspora life, as well as what the common practice is out here. That tendency comes out a few times in this section. But more stridently, I must disagree with some of Rav Eliezer Melamed's out-of-book statements about Arabs and about Israeli politics. He is, to put it mildly, very right-wing, and I am morally offended about how darkly he can write about Israeli Arabs and Palestinians, and how he even writes about forced expulsion. One will not find such statements in this chapter of Panini Halacha, and the question of how to receive Halacha from someone from whom you have disagreement, even major disagreement, even how can you possibly say that moral disagreement, 
is a major question. And how much of their canon should you invalidate based upon that disagreement? I leave those questions to the listener. For myself, I think that I have the capacity to recognize those areas that move from halacha to realms of higher, more eternal Torah truths. And I think I have the capacity to distinguish between those words of a Torah authority that I must accept and those to which I must find other rabbis and other schools of Jewish thought to guide me. I am a proud religious Zionist, and I am so often moved by this chapter, even though it contains some statements with which I disagree. And I am a major fan, albeit as but a humble reader, of the Pinini Halacha, even though I know that there are portions of his political and even religious ideology with which I vehemently disagree. To summarize, this chapter is really interesting, and I invite you to notice just how remarkable it is and how somewhat different it will be from other chapters in this masterful work. It's remarkable because it's the first comprehensive guide to halacha that gives Yom Ha'atzmut its own special but still included section within that guide. In effect, this is the moment that Yom Ha'atzmut fully enters the halachic canon. Not as some funny thing or some different thing or something to write a pamphlet about, but something that's just as essential and just as traditional as keeping kosher or shaking a lulav. This chapter is different because the halachot being discussed are fundamentally new and highly controversial. And this means that the Panini Halacha has to change his style. As we move through the sections, I ask you to pay attention to and to join me in thinking about the arguments that the Panini Halacha makes. Are you convinced? Are you moved? What kind of argument is he presenting? I've noticed five differences in the Panini Halacha's method and style in this chapter from how he usually writes. In this chapter, one, he is more interested in finding the true opinion than in finding the majority opinion. Two, he is more defensive, and this leads to more in-depth explanations and more forceful arguments. Another way to put this is, in this chapter, he doesn't just have to teach us the halacha of Yom Ha'atzmut, he first needs to convince us that there even is a halacha of Yom Ha'atzmut. Three, he is more strident. He writes with passion and is willing to explicitly criticize those with whom he disagrees. Four, he is more personal, speaking about people and places with which he has a personal, often lifelong connection. Indeed, his halachic project in this chapter is at times more personal too. There are moments where he stops speaking about the halachic mainstream and where he even stops speaking about the halachic truth and he simply records, look, this is what I have received from my teachers and my masters. Five, he sometimes exercises here a method of the modified mainstream. That is, what's the mainstream view within the world of people who agree with my basic assumptions? One way to gather that modified mainstream view is to find rulings of the early chief rabbinate or practices of the contemporary alumni and students of the Merkaz Harav Yeshiva. Both will make far more appearances in this chapter than they typically would. I'll add that I don't love some of the Panini Halacha's assessments of diaspora Jewry, and that I'm deeply troubled by some of Rav Malamed's statements about Arabs and about Israeli politics. Those extreme positions do not appear in this chapter, or to my current knowledge, in Panini Halacha. It is such a joy and a merit to study this Torah about Yomat's Mut. 
I'll conclude by stating that this entire chapter of the Panini Halacha podcast is devoted to the memory of Ezra Schwartz, Allah HaShalom, who was killed by a terrorist in Israel at age 18 in 2015 and is a friend of one of my dear congregants here in Greenpoint. May Ezra's memory be for a blessing, and may we soon merit to see the full redemption of which the state of Israel is but the first and sometimes still painful blossoming.